Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller. I'm the founder at the Miller Law Group and director at the Center for Understanding and Conflict. I am on a mission to change how people divorce. And my guest today is Dr. Jeremy Gaze. He's a clinical psychologist and a family mediator based in Tampa, Florida. He earned his undergraduate degree from Brown University and got his doctoral degree from Rutgers. Dr. Gaze devotes his practice to the areas of collaborative divorce and co-parenting issues and is a national speaker on those topics. He's also the author of two books, A Clear and Easy Guide to Collaborative Divorce and the co-author of Mindful Co-Parenting, A Child-Friendly Path Through Divorce. Welcome, Dr. Gaze. It's really a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks, Catherine. I'm really glad to be here. So obviously you are an expert on children and divorce. When I got divorced, that was the topic that really scared me and worried me and made me feel terribly guilty and sad and worried for my kids. And I think a lot of parents wonder if their kids are going to be okay. And is there a short answer to that question? There is a short answer. And the answer is, if parents are willing to work together to try to make the situation as workable and even as comfortable as possible for the kids, then the kids will be okay. And the research shows that when parents work together that way, that kids come out looking pretty much like kids whose parents didn't divorce. The problem is when parents aren't working together, they have high levels of conflict, and that other factors get in the way, then kids sometimes struggle. So the answer is yes, if. Yes. Yes, Okay. That's a really important if. Right. And so let's talk about what goes into that if, because I agree with you. I think that the if is a really important if. And I think the if starts at the beginning of the decision to divorce. What do you think about that? I couldn't agree more. I know from reading a little bit about you and your radio show that collaborative divorce is an area that you practice. It's also an area that I practice. It's not the only good method for folks to get divorced, though. There are other good options as well. But those of us who do offer collaborative divorce know that the process matters. That is, if folks choose a method that will be less adversarial, that will be more focused on the family, that the outcomes for children, and incidentally, the outcomes for the parents, are better. Yeah, I think that that is really true, and I completely agree with you that collaborative divorce is a great option for a lot of people, and it's not the only way to get to a good divorce, putting air quotes around that, or a good co-parenting post-divorce situation and successful, happy children. But there are some elements that of intentionality in the collaborative model that I think are important for parents post-divorce and during the decision to divorce and through the negotiations that are really important going forward. Yeah, I love the way you say that, uh, the intentionality. Um, That's a really good way to describe it because the collaborative process offers a number of benefits and we may speak about some of the others as well, but one real key benefit is that spouses enter a process where they have made a conscious decision not to be adversaries. They've made a conscious decision, both uh, figuratively, to sit on the same side of the table and work out the puzzle that's in front of them, and literally in the collaborative process, 
spouses often do sit on the same side of a table when we work together with them to help them figure out exactly what kind of outcomes, what kinds of parenting arrangements, what kinds of financial arrangements will be best for them and best for the family as a whole. So intentionality is a really great word because it describes what people go into the process committing to do. And in a lot of other divorce processes, there's not that commitment and there's not that intentionality. So what are some of the things that parents can do, Dr. Gaze, to help their children through the divorce if they really want to be sure in that if clause, if they want to be sure that their children are going to be okay? Sure. So I think you've highlighted a good first step, which is to choose a process for going through a divorce that will reduce the amount of conflict as much as possible. How you go about a divorce really does make a difference. But going beyond that, regardless of what process you choose, there are challenges to co-parenting. There are challenges to becoming a co-parent. You know, I think one of the challenges for parents is that we love our children so much the idea of having to be separate from them for large chunks of time, maybe for half the time for many families that use equal time sharing, that is just really hard to accept. And so there are some real challenges right up front. But there are things that parents can do uh, that will really help the kids have a smoother run. And we like to call these in the book that I've written with Jim Morris about co-parenting and divorce, We call them the keys to mindful co-parenting. Would it be okay for me to just kind of run through those six keys? Yeah, that's a great idea. Great. So the first one is putting the children first. And we put that right up at the top because if parents start with that commitment that every decision that they're going to make as parents and as co-parents is going to first and foremost consider their children's interests, their children's needs, Everything else should flow from that. So number one is prioritizing the kids and always asking that question, how is this going to affect our children? Which options are going to have the best outcome for them? The second key is what we call focusing forward. Parents, spouses come into a divorce and there's history, there's baggage, there's hurt, there's frustration, there's anger. There's a lot that people bring in and it's very easy to get stuck in what he did six years ago, what she did three months ago. There's a lot of looking backwards, kind of looking in the rearview mirror. And I think we all know that if you're driving down a road looking in the rearview mirror, you're likely to hit something up ahead. Um, So we encourage parents strongly to focus forward, to accept and acknowledge that things happened in the past that you're not happy about, but that for now, in terms of taking care of your kids' needs, you have to be focusing on where your kids are now and what you want for them going forward. I'll go on to the third of the six keys, and that's communicating effectively. We know that it's so important if people are going to work out problems, resolve disputes, understand each other, work as a team, you have to communicate. You know, folks who have gone through a divorce are going through a divorce, they very likely have had some problems in their communication. That may have been a major contributing factor to the problems in the relationship. And so learning how to communicate effectively, that doesn't mean having to spend a lot of time communicating. Sometimes parents have to learn how to communicate less, but to say more in a shorter time or to summarize things in a shorter email. But learning how to communicate effectively is an important key. And the third one, 
A fourth one is honoring agreements. The first agreement for parents in a divorce process is to develop a parenting plan. A parenting plan is a written outline of how parents are going to co-parent in divorce. And once they reach agreement on that parenting plan, it's essential that they honor that agreement and any other agreements, even informal agreements that they make. If one parent says, I'd really like to pick up Johnny on Saturday for a couple hours because I have tickets to this event that he'd enjoy, and the other parent says, that's fine, you can pick him up at, at 1 o'clock, and then that parent's not there with Johnny at 1 o'clock, that's not honoring an agreement, and that causes a lot of conflict and distrust between parents. The fifth of the six keys we call maintaining boundaries. And this goes two ways. Boundaries help make sure that other people don't intrude on us. It also makes sure that we stay within the lines and we don't overreach or overstep. So we try to encourage parents to understand that now that you're no longer a married couple, there are some lines between you and you have to learn to stay on your own side of the line. So for example, if one parent is unhappy because they feel the other parent maybe has rules in their home that are not ideal for the children, they can certainly talk about them. They can communicate effectively. They can talk with the other parent about ways that they might agree upon handling those kinds of things in both homes. But each parent has to recognize that now that they're divorced, each parent gets to make their own decisions about certain day-to-day activities. And so parents have to learn to respect those boundaries and maintain them. The last of the six keys is managing emotions. And I think we all understand what that means. That means that no matter how angry you are, no matter how frustrated, no matter how hurt, how sad you are, how upset you are, that you have to learn how to manage your emotions. You can't just let it pop in your head and then come out your mouth because you say things that can harm your co-parenting relationship. And many parents inadvertently say things in front of their own children because they're hurt or angry or frustrated with their co-parent. That puts kids right in the middle between the two people that they love and rely on so much. So we think it's so important for parents to learn how to manage emotions. So those are the six keys that we think are the most important things for parents to help them help their children through a divorce. That's great. I have a lot to ask you about that. But before I do that, I'd like to remind our listeners that they're listening to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller, and I'm talking today with Dr. Jeremy Gaze. He's the author of Mindful Co-Parenting, and I think he's just been through the six keys that are outlined in that book, as he's also the author of A Clear and Easy Guide for Collaborative Divorce. And Dr. Gaze, prioritizing children, I think that's something that everybody says they want to do. And yet they can't always agree what that means, right? So two people think, well, we each, both of us want what's best for our children, but we disagree about what that is. And how do you think people should best talk about those disagreements? And it could be a decision about school, therapy, living arrangements, you know, a lot of things where people can really, with having the best interest of their children at heart, really intending to do the best thing by their children, really disagree. Yeah, you raise a great point there. I mean, the starting place is for each parent to really step back and think about what is it that's best for my children. But as you wisely pointed out, sometimes they really do think carefully about it and they come up with different answers. One parent thinks that it's best for a child to go to a particular public school. The other parent feels strongly the child should go to 
a particular private school or parochial school. Uh, one parent thinks that it's best for children to be responsible for making their own breakfast or their own lunch and let them make their own food choices. The other parent feels that it's a parent's responsibility not only to make those meals, but to select the food options for the child, even if the child isn't keen on having what that parent chooses to prepare. So you are going to have situations where parents simply see things differently. You mentioned a good word, and that's communicate. Again, one of the six keys, we strongly encourage parents to communicate in a polite, focused, and respectful way with each other. So rather than saying, I can't believe you did this, what were you thinking? What kind of a parent are you? Don't you love our children? The better thing to do is to say, I'd like to have a conversation. I'd like to exchange some emails on this particular topic. Here are my thoughts about it. What are your thoughts about it? Are you willing to talk about this and see if we can come to some agreement? Sometimes that's all it takes to get there. In other cases, parents really need someone outside of themselves, an objective person who can help them have that conversation and maybe even give them some guidance and input. And so there's often a benefit to bringing in an objective, skilled professional to help parents either resolve disputes or even learn how to resolve disputes. I think that's really, really good advice. And you know, one of the things that I was thinking about when you're talking about communicating effectively, I think that a breakdown in communication is the primary reason and overwhelmingly so for people to make the decision to divorce anyway, for a breakdown in the relationships significant enough for people to decide to end a marriage. And do you agree with that or do you see it differently? I completely agree with that. I'll tell you, I, my wife is also a psychologist. And the one thing that our two kids, who are now in their early 20s, but the one thing that they would often sort of complain about is how much we would communicate, because we knew it was important to communicate, to deal with all kinds of challenges. And so we, in their eyes, may have over-communicated because we would talk about everything. Everything that we had in mind, we would sit down, we'd discuss it, usually in a very calm kind of way. But I think it was the key to our success, not only in terms of raising our children, but I think it was a key to the success in our marriage. I think that, you know, we each came into our marriage with our own stuff and and we really were able to work through it. And it's one of the things that I say to couples when they're going through couples counseling, marriage counseling, even if they're not considering a divorce, is that it may seem like uncomfortable and you may not be used to talking that much about your thoughts or your feelings. But the more that you do it, the more you're going to understand each other and the more you're going to understand yourself and the better chance for relationships has. So I am, I am a hundred percent in on that, Catherine. I think that communicating is critical for relationships. And I agree with you that the lack of communication is the biggest contributor to problems in relationships and failed marriages. And one thing that's really challenging about that is that the communication protocols really have to be revised and reestablished in a way that works and sort of ironic because it didn't work before. And now in order to co-parent effectively, it may be simpler, but it's still really challenging not to feel that the other person is undermining or competing around children and some of these really difficult issues. You're right. One of the shames is that if parents were to develop those skills not 
just for co-parenting, but if they had developed those communication skills earlier, they may never have ended up where they're at. But be that as that may, now that they do have to co-parent, there's sometimes an even greater need for their children's benefit to be able to communicate and communicate effectively. And I would add, just to kind of tie it back to some of what we talked about in terms of collaborative divorce, to me, that's one of the huge benefits of, of the collaborative divorce process. There are so many benefits, but that's a really huge one is that folks who maybe haven't communicated now have an incredible forum to communicate directly with each other about what kind of arrangements they're going to have financially and co-parenting and otherwise going forward. And so they have a team of professionals who can help them with that communication, but communicating directly is a very big part of the collaborative process, which makes it very different from other forms of divorce, such as traditional court litigation and even mediation. Many folks who use mediation as a way to dissolve their marriage, and I am a certified family mediator, so I'm a big fan of mediation. But one of the challenges is that the way mediation is often done, folks don't speak directly to each other. They're often either in two separate rooms or they're speaking to their attorneys. In the collaborative process, the two spouses, in this case, it's their children, the two parents, they speak directly to each other. And through the process, they also learn how to communicate with each other, which helps them in their co-parenting. And Dr. Jeremy Gaze, is there some protocols or way that you have to help people learn to do this? Because I can imagine that our listeners are thinking, listen, that would be great, but I can't imagine that ever happening. As a mental health professional who works with divorcing couples and divorcing parents all the time, there must be a sort of a process that you use to help people develop new communication lines. Sure. I think there are a few things that we do, and this applies incidentally whether I'm doing couples therapy to help folks make their marriage better, whether I'm doing divorce counseling when couples know that they're ending their marriage, but they haven't necessarily moved forward with the process, or whether we're doing working co-parenting, even through a collaborative process. So one of the things is education. A big part of our job is to teach people the tools of communication, teach them active listening, teach them how to validate each other's thoughts, teach them how to empathize with each other, teach them how to properly use texting and email communication because many people do not use texting and email communication in productive ways. So the first thing we do is we educate people because most folks really never had any course in communication. If I could make it happen, I would make sure that every elementary school, every middle school, and every high school would have courses, mandatory courses in communication so that children would grow up learning how to communicate with other people more effectively. So education is a big part of it. A second thing that we do is we model good communication. So in all of my dealings with parents, whether it's by email or by phone or in person, and especially when we're all together, I try to model with them the way I communicate between people so that they can learn by example. Another thing that we do is we do coaching. And I don't mean to mix those terms because coach is also the term for a mental health professional working in a collaborative process. But by this, I mean coaching folks on how to communicate. When we're working with a couple and they're having some problems in communication, I can actually say to one of them right in front of the other so they both learn through the process, I can say, 
I wonder what would happen if you were to phrase it this way instead of the way you just did. Would you want to try that? Let's see what happens. And you can help people actually role play and practice better communication. You can do this with email as well. Folks have a lot of problems with email. People seem to feel like they can vent in emails, maybe even ways they might not vent verbally. And so oftentimes we'll look at emails that have been exchanged between parents and we'll explore ways that they might be written differently so that they might have a more positive effect next time around. Yeah, I can certainly relate to that. One of the instructions I often give my own clients is please send me the email before you send it to your spouse and so I can edit it for you because I, they have the need to get it off their chest, but it's not always a productive, it doesn't land in a productive way. I call that the pause and edit technique. Yeah. So anytime I have an email that I'm going to send that I think is a little dicey or I know I'm a little bit upset or a lot upset, I always type it. And then I get up, I walk away, I may get a glass of water, I may just stretch a little bit, or I may have to go out in the yard and do some weeding and then come back in. And then I look at the email with fresh eyes and I ask myself the question, do I want to send this email? Will it accomplish the goals that I'm trying to accomplish? One thing I encourage parents to do before they click send on any email that they're going to send to their co-parent is to ask themselves the question, will my clicking send on this email make my child's life better or worse? Yeah. If the answer is you feel it'll make it better, click send. If you're not sure, I encourage you to pause and edit. Come back again and see if you can adjust the wording so that perhaps it's a little less confrontational and a little bit more solution-oriented. I also think it's a really good idea not to write those kinds of emails in the evening when you're tired or certainly after you've had a glass of wine or two, because I think it makes it a lot better to consider this with all of your faculties at 100%. This is Catherine Miller. You're listening to Dialogue on Divorce. We're here on WVOX 1460 AM every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30. And past episodes are also available on our podcast website, which is www.divorcedialogues.com. And we're talking today with Dr. Jeremy Gaze about his books and about his experience with children and divorce. And Dr. Gaze, is there some contact information or if our listeners have questions for you or would like to find more out about your books or your professional services, how can they reach you? Absolutely. So first, I should let your listeners know I'm in Tampa, Florida, so I'm not local to where most of your listeners are. But nonetheless, they can certainly reach me by email. I have one email address, and that's drgaze at verizon.net. That's dr. G-A-I-E-S at Verizon.net. And they are certainly free to email me, and I'll be happy to give them uh, whatever guidance or answers. Obviously, I won't be able to be involved maybe in their particular circumstance, but I can try to point them in the right direction. One of the reasons why I wrote these books was because I wanted to be able to pass this message on to folks beyond the local area, as well as use them as tools for the clients that I see myself. So the first book is called Mindful Co-Parenting, A Child-Friendly Path Through Divorce. And I wrote that with Jim Morris, who's a good friend and a close colleague of mine. And this is a book for parents who are starting out or in the middle of a divorce process. It helps them select the best process, helps them think through how they want to co-parent, helps them learn about writing parenting plans, gives them the six keys for mindful co-parenting, 
and then takes them a little bit beyond that. The second book is one that I actually just published last month, and it's called A Clear and Easy Guide to Collaborative Divorce. And this is also for folks who are at the point where they're considering different divorce options. And this book basically guides you page by page. Each page is a question with a detailed answer. All the common questions that folks have about the collaborative divorce process. What is it about? Why is it better? What are the upsides? What are the downsides? How much is it going to cost? How long does it take? What's it going to be like when I first speak with the attorney? Why is a mental health professional involved? Things of that type. Both of these books are available in paperback and in Kindle format on Amazon. And um, the first book's already available in audio, and the second book is on its way in audio. And if you have any trouble remembering the titles of the book, um, you can just go to Amazon and you can put in my name, Jeremy Gaze, G-A-I-E-S, and it will take you right to my page. Uh, that's really great, and I, I know that those books will be really useful for people who are considering uh, divorce. And since our podcast is national and even international, we've had guests from Europe, uh, I think perhaps some of our listeners might even be in your area. Thank Fantastic. You. Thank you, Dr. Gates, for being a guest on Dialogue on Divorce. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thanks so much, Catherine. 